Good to have Chris back with us, isn't it? Uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey and Shannon are out of town, and uh, glad to have Chris come back with us. God's using him greatly at Grace New Hope, and uh, we continue to pray for him. He's always going to be a part of our family uh, wherever he goes. We are, yeah. We are about 12 hours from knowing who won the Super Bowl, right? Who's successfully becomes Super Bowl 51 champions. You're going to go home, you're going to get the wings and the, the chips and the dip ready and whatever you're planning to eat tonight during the Super Bowl, and then you're going to settle in for what is routinely the largest television experience of the whole year. Uh, last year, somewhere around 167 million people watched all or part of the Super Bowl, making it the most watched television show ever, and that's pretty consistent year after year after year. And I know that not everybody cares about the Super Bowl, and not everybody's going to watch the Super Bowl, and some people are commercial Super Bowl people. Is that you? Like, watch for the commercials. They've already started releasing them, I noticed. They've released some of them. You could go on and preview, and, and, and what we'll have is tomorrow, maybe even by the end of the day, uh, this evening, We'll, we'll get a ranking of the most successful commercials. Like, this was the best one, uh, this was the terrible one. And so we'll start sizing up who successfully created the best Super Bowl commercial. The price of Super Bowl commercials continues to go up. Maybe you, maybe you saw this report. This year, Super Bowl 51, a 30-second commercial spot is $5 million and change. Some time slots are, are almost $5.5 million. So companies are putting five, $5.5 million into 30 seconds and hoping that 30 seconds is going to be successful. Right. We'll decide. Who won? Who won the commercial battle? We'll, we'll decide. Was Luke Bryan successful at the national anthem? Hmm. <laughs> There's wagers you can make on how long the national anthem is going to last. Not that I'm encouraging gambling, I'm just saying. There's, there's people, like everything about the Super Bowl, people are watching to see how it's going to go. You know, did he do kind of a traditional version? Did he add too much? Did he not add enough? The uh, halftime show, Lady Gaga, they're going to decide, people are going to decide, successful or not. I'm probably going to fix my plate during halftime. That's just me. You do you. But I don't, I don't know that Lady Gaga's got a lot to say to me tonight. So I'm probably going to fix my plate. But people are going to talk about it all next week. Trust me. They're going to talk about it all next week. Was she successful? Was she not successful? Uh... And then in about 12 hours, one team is going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. They will be the successful winners of the Super Bowl. Hopefully, they will be wearing red and black. They will have a bird of prey on the side of their helmet. They will have a billionaire owner who did not spend a dime on dance lessons his whole life. Hopefully, that's the team. Hopefully, that's the winner of the Super Bowl, successful. There's going to be an MVP. You successfully won the MVP of the Super Bowl. We all know Matt Ryan won the NFL 
Uh, regular season MVP, go Matt Ryan. Yeah, all of these ways that people are going to be successful by 10 o'clock tonight are unsuccessful. And here's my question. Here's my question. Then what? Then what? Hoist a Lombardi trophy. Confetti comes down in your team's colors. Josh's tent's going to get a new shipment of Super Bowl t-shirts. <laughs> then what? And I don't mean to be flippant about the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm not trying to Jesus juke you over the Super Bowl here. I, I, what, but I'm asking. I, I'm asking. I, I realize a very small percentage of people are ever going to win the Super Bowl. Very small percentage. It's a huge accomplishment. Here's my question. Then what? And it's not just my question for football players, um, who I, I would never pick on, um, mainly because they're all bigger than me, right? At, at any level, professional, college, high school, middle school, peewee, they're, they're all bigger than me. I'm not making fun of football players. I'm asking all of us, then what? You graduate, get your degree, then what? Find a job, then what? Start your own company, oh, that's great, you're successful, then what? Marriage, start a family, then what? That is a disturbing question for humans. And then what? We're kicking off a series about life. But there is a core question about life that we've got to wrestle with today because it's going to hang over all of the other discussions that we're going to have in this life series. When I use the word successful, and I think when we use the word successful, typically we mean doing well at a specific thing in a specific time. They were successful at fill in the blank, right? They were successful at fill in the blank. Great word, great way to use it. Uh, a successful lawyer wins court cases, right? They're successful at this thing. A successful chef gets rave reviews, opens their own restaurant. A successful politician gets elected. They were successful at this specific Thing, which, I'm drawing a distinction between being successful at something, a particular area, and being a success. Like, overall, throughout all of your life, getting to the end of your life and saying, that was a success. I'm proud of the totality of what happened in my life, maybe not every little point and every little decision and everything that happened, but overall, it was a success. There's a difference between being successful at some things and being a success. I'm talking about, you might think of it as the foundation of our life. Like this is the, the foundation. Everything else is going to be built on this. Or... The perspective, like here's my life, here are all the little parts of my life, but here's 
what's the overarching view of all of it, or the grid, or the, the life strategy that I employ, not in one particular place, not just in my professional life, not just in my personal life, or my relationships, or my family, or my marriage. What is that one foundational question or element that needs to be in place so that everything else could be a success, that one barometer, that one benchmark. The thing about which we say, no matter what else I do in my life, no matter what else I'm successful at, if I don't do this, my life wasn't a success. That's kind of hard to come up with. What is that one thing that we could say, no matter what else happens, if I don't do this, I can't say that my life is a success at the end. We read a lot from uh, the Apostle Paul here at Journey, mainly because Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. And uh, I'd like to give you a little background always on him. Paul was not one of the original followers with Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus when Jesus was on this earth. It was after Jesus had died and been resurrected and gone back to heaven that Jesus appears to, to Paul. His name was Saul at the time. And says, look, I want you to change your life. I want you to follow me. I want you to turn around and go a different way. And Paul becomes this dynamic follower of Jesus. He becomes an early pastor and, and, and missionary and church planter and, and author. He writes uh, many of the letters that make up the New Testament. He's writing to the church at Philippi. In your Bible, it's the book of Philippians, if you want to read, read along with us. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 over towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is describing how he's been successful at a lot of things to them. He's making this list. And he's saying, yeah, I was successful at that. I was successful at that. I did well at that. As a matter of fact, everybody else around me thought I was successful. The religious people, they thought I was successful, Paul says. I was successful at religion. I was successful at being a leader. I, I was successful at rising up through the ranks and getting a position of authority and, and a position of leadership. Successful. Check. I did that. I was successful when it came to just my energy and my ability to motivate people, my passion. Like I was 100%. I was all in. Successful. 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 But then after listing all of these ways he'd been successful, Paul kind of turns the conversation and he said, even though I've been successful at all of these things that a lot of people around me thought were great, <clears throat> I woke up one day and I realized my life wasn't a success just because I was successful at all of these things. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, <clears throat> this is where Paul turns the conversation. He writes, but whatever... Were gains. In other words, those things that I said successful, I put successful by them. But whatever were gains to me, <clears throat> I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God 
on the basis of faith. So Paul says, here's what I did. I stacked up all of the things that I'd been successful at. All the things that other people thought I'd been successful at. And one day I realized, none of that means anything without Christ. None of that matters without Christ. If I don't know Christ, if I'm not growing in Christ, if my life's not glorifying Christ, stack up as much successful in the, in the successful category as you want to stack up. And Paul says, what I found is you should shift that over to the loss category. Paul uses kind of a play on words, sort of an accounting language. Paul says, all of this stuff that I thought was so good and I was doing so right, I had put it in the gain side of the ledger, deposit, bearing interest. Like I was in the black because all of this good stuff in the positive side of the ledger. And then I suddenly realized that's not positive. That was loss because Christ was never a part of any of that. And my life was, was never given over to Christ in any of that. And yeah, I had lots of applause and, and lots of accolades and lots of people saying, you're great, you're awesome, you're successful. And then it hit me. Unless I know Christ, unless I'm knowing Christ, glorifying Christ, growing in Christ, everything about my life is lost. And not only lost, Paul, this translation says, Paul said it was garbage. It was junk. It's a it's one of the strongest words Paul ever uses. There's some debate about exactly how strong that word is, but basically he's saying it was waste. It stunk. It was nothing. It was garbage because Christ wasn't a part of it. You and I run the risk of confusing Temporary successfulness with eternal success. We're constantly drawn toward immediate checks, immediate success, and forgetting that there is an ultimate success from eternity's viewpoint that if I'm not careful, I'll miss living in this life. I mean, everything is so temporary in this life. Everything is so now right in front of me that I'll forget to ask, yeah, but how does Christ see this? How, how do I know Christ in this? And then, and then one day we open our eyes in eternity. Like we die and we step into eternity and we look back and we're like Paul. And we go, all of those things, they weren't in the gain column. They were in the loss column because I wasn't pursuing Christ. D.L. Moody was a 19th century American pastor. <clears throat> he once said, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Our greatest, our greatest fear should not be failure. We're going to fail from time to time. Our greatest fear should be thinking that we're adding up all of these successful things, thinking that all of these things are so great in our life and realize that ultimately nothing in that column is going to matter for eternity. Nothing in that column brought me closer to Christ or made me more like Christ or changed me more into the image 
of Christ. Thousand years into eternity. Whoever holds up the Lombardi trophy, it's loss apart from Christ. It's nothing apart from Christ. Quick quiz. Without using Google or Siri, hands up and just keep them up. How many of you remember the two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year? Keep them up if you remember five years ago. Who, were, who was in the Super Bowl five years ago? Eight years ago? Any hands? Sorry, it's dark out there. Any hands? You just Googled it. <laughs> Fifteen years ago. There we go. Yeah. There are all these things that are passing, that are temporary. And look, I'm watching the game tonight. Like, I, I am rising up. Go Falcons. I am pumped. If you need me on Tuesday, I'm going to be at a Super Bowl parade in downtown Atlanta. Don't call. Don't text. That's where I'm going to be. I'm, I love the Super Bowl. I love the Falcons. It's about that long. And we're going to stand in eternity one day. And we're going to have to ask, what of my life, what of my existence, my short little window on this planet was really, really gain? So the Old Testament prophet, I know sometimes we get nervous about prophets because they can get kind of fiery. Actually, most of them were pretty meek. Most of them were pretty humble. Most of them really didn't want to say things on behalf of God, but God said, you got to say this. And they would go and say it. It was motivated out of their love for the people. They were trying to persuade them to come back to God. In Jeremiah um, <clears throat> chapter 2, Jeremiah makes this, this statement that you have to think about just a little bit. It's in verse 5. He's talking about the nation of Israel, God's people, and they've, They've wandered away from God and, and Babylon's coming in and they're being taken captive and they're being carried away into captivity. And Jeremiah, this is how he describes them. He says, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They followed things that didn't matter. They followed worthless, temporary, empty things. And so at the end of their life, you know what their life was? Worthless, empty, temporary things. They wasted their life because they pursued things that didn't matter. That's, that's, that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I, I was successful at all of these things without Christ, which meant it was really a loss, which meant I really had nothing. So, does that mean we're supposed to resign our jobs and leave our families and drop out of school and just sit around and have Bible study and get to know Christ more? No, that's not what it means. What it means is I need to view all of these areas of my life as avenues through which I can know Christ better and He can shape me more into His image. That my marriage is a tool that God uses to reveal Christ more to me so that Christ can be revealed more in me if I approach my marriage that way. 
my relationship to my kids, my, my career, my job, my, my pursuit of my goals. Foundational question is, God, how are you going to use this to shape me more into the image of Jesus? How am I going to know Jesus better through this area of my life? And yeah, I may have some temporary successes in that area, but what matters is, God, how are you shaping me into the image of Christ by all of these areas in my life? And, and yes, there are some areas. There were some areas for Paul that Paul had to say, that's never going to shape me into the image of Jesus. I need to stop doing that. I need to move away from that relationship. I need to move out of this area because that's never going to help me know Christ and become like Christ and glorify Christ with my life. And so I've got to let those go. And then I've got to ask about all the other things. God, how do you shape me into the image of Christ by these areas of my life? The church word that we use, kind of the big church word that we use for that idea is the word sanctification. Me becoming more like Jesus. Me becoming holy in the way that Christ is holy. And, and, and God uses this life. God use, sometimes uses temporary things. When we want to know Christ... God sometimes uses temporary things to make us more like Jesus. If that's where we start from when it comes to evaluating our lives. The Westminster Catechism was uh, written in the mid-1600s, Church of England. And a catechism, a confession, it's a, it's a way of teaching uh, Bible beliefs doctrine or Bible truths. And it's, it's a great method. It's not the only method, but it's a great method. In the Westminster Confession, it's a question and answer pattern. So there's a question that you memorize, and then you learn the answer. And when you go through the questions, you begin to learn truth and doctrine and beliefs from the Bible. It's all based on the Bible. The Westminster Confession begins with this question, what is the chief end of man or woman? What is the chief end of a human? Like this is the end all be all. Get to the end of your life. You want to know whether you're a success? Ask this question. And the answer is the chief end of humans is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end, get to the end of your life, step into eternity, look back. You know what was gain? All the ways that your life brought glory to God. That's gain. Like you take that into eternity with you. Like that counts. That lives forever. All of the moments that you became more like Christ and glorified him. That's what Paul says. Like everything else, waste. Knowing Christ, gain. All the other things people think I'm successful out without Christ, garbage. All the times my life transforms more closely to Jesus and he gets glory from my life, gain. Gain. And, and, and sometimes those experiences are difficult. I mean, so, sometimes the easy thing is to say, well, that's not helping me spiritually. I'm getting rid of that. I mean, quitting and running is sometimes the easy thing. Path And I said, yeah, some, some things we need to let go, but often, often it is in the struggle that we're being shaped more like Jesus. Anybody struggle in their marriage? <laughs> if you don't, you're not married, right? 
I mean, that sharpening, that refining, that shaping, the answer is not running. The answer is, God, what do you, how do you want to shape me more into your image? Paul, Paul writes about this in verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're like, yep, I want that too. Like, I want to know power. Like Jesus comes back from the grave. That's what I want. I want triumph. I want victory. I want to overcome. And Paul says, I, you know that in Jesus. When you're drawing near to Jesus, yes, you know this sort of power, but that's not where he ends. Paul says, before we get to the power, we got to back up a little bit. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, yeah, I want power, but the power came after suffering. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered and died. And yeah, there was power from the resurrection. I want to experience that. You know what I also want to experience? When life gets hard, I want to become more like Jesus then. When I don't understand, when life is a struggle, when it's not what I wanted, I want to say, Christ, glorify yourself in me. Christ, make me more like you even in this. The hardest moments of our lives are often the times that God is shaping us the most into the image of Jesus. I was invited <clears throat> to go with the LCA seniors to the most recent Passion Conference at the Georgia Dome. And I had a great time. I have a senior. And so I, I went as one of the chaperones along with my wife. And there were many striking things that were said and sung and moments uh, in the Passion Conference. If you're familiar with it, it's a, a movement among college students spearheaded by Louis Giglio. And just tremendous speakers, some of my favorite speakers. The moment that continues to rattle around in my brain and I can't get away from is a, a statement that Beth Moore said. She's talking to a Georgia Dome full of college students. And Beth Moore says to them, you will suffer and it will seldom be romantic and you will not be as good at it as you had hoped. You will suffer. There will be struggles. And it will seldom be romantic. Nobody's probably going to write a book about our sufferings, I hate to tell you. There's not going to be like a made-for-TV Hallmark movie. Most of us aren't going to get a stage where we get to stand up and say, well, this is what I went through, and this is what happened, and this is what God did. It's seldom going to be romantic. It's seldom going to be that picture of suffering well that we want to believe about ourselves. And she's so right. <laughs> Rarely are we as good at it as we want to be. And yet, in that, God will shape us into the image of Jesus. Even in those moments, God will make us more like Him. Will glorify Himself. And there are people in this room who, who know suffering at that level. Paul says, this is what I found. Now, it's not just the, the victory where I become like Christ. It's in uniting with him in his suffering that God brings glory to himself. 
You see, we have to step back from all of the little pieces of our life and ask foundationally, overarching, am I okay if this life is really about just knowing Jesus and glorifying Him? Am I okay if that really is the end-all, be-all of life and all of my successes and failures and victories and struggles funnel back into that? Because that's what God has called us to. And in this series, we're going to look at individual parts of our lives. We're going to ask, God, what do you teach about this area? God, what do you say about God, how can we be better at this area? But foundationally, the question we're asking is, God, how do I let you be Lord over that area? God, how do I let you use that area to shape me into the image of Jesus? So that I step into eternity one day, not perfect and not having never failed, but I step into eternity and say, I gave my life to things that will last forever. That's success. Let's pray. Father, you've entrusted each of us with, with one life on this earth. One life. And we don't want to invest it in what's worthless. We don't want to invest it in what's temporary. We we don't want to step into eternity and realize I chased all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons. And so come today and in this week ahead of us and challenge us Is knowing Christ enough? Is glorifying Christ enough? And the victories and the defeats, the times that are easy and the times that are really, really hard and in our suffering, is knowing Christ enough? Because it will affect every area of our life once we decide it's all to glorify you. Every moment, relationship, goal, pursuit, all of it ultimately needs to come back to the glory of God. Help us to live that kind of life. In Jesus' name.